Hello, and welcome back to the Braxton Ranch Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Gidding. Last week on Campfire Stories was The Kings of Braxton, Born Under Trouble, Chapter 4, The King's Return. This week, Chapter 5, Jaspers and Criminals. So let's go get that campfire started, and we'll nestle in for a good story. The Kings of Braxton Born Unto Trouble Chapter 5 Jaspers and Criminals 1. It was a quiet Sunday morning, almost like any other. The farmhands had the day off to attend church, and Carol was in the kitchen cleaning up after a large breakfast. Neil was in the sitting room, where the curtains were open to allow the sun to fill the room with light. He sat silently on the couch facing the entrance, with his dog asleep at his feet, as he read the morning paper. A steel spit cup was close by on the end table. The headline on the front page read, King's Return to Save Braxton. Beneath the headline was the photo Atwood had taken of the brothers just outside of Lefty's. Junior sat on the couch across from Neil, with his back to the entrance, drinking a cup of coffee that had been freshly brewed by Carol. The room was silent with the exception of the ticking clock on the wall between the two windows and the occasional rustling of the newspaper. The ticking seemed to grow louder as time passed and Neil began to tap his foot along with the ticking. Junior was becoming restless and looking around the room to keep his mind occupied. He didn't like the silence or sitting around doing nothing. One reason he wanted to be sheriff was because it would keep him busy most of the time. In his downtime, he went to Lefty's or one of the other bars in town until they shut down. This restlessness always made Sam a bit nervous, but Neil thought it was just part of Junior's charm. Sam walked into the room wearing his shoulder holsters and gun belt. He placed his fedora on his head and took a seat next to Junior. Morning. Junior was happy to break the silence. Sam looked at him and nodded before turning his attention to his tobacco pouch and pipe for his morning smoke. I know I haven't been around in years, but I remember the two of you being more lively, Junior said as he adjusted himself on the couch. Neil glanced up and locked eyes with his brother. Neither one of them said a word, and Neil returned his focus to the paper. Anything in the news? Sam asked. Robberies, mostly. Plus, two guys were caught near the jerky stand by the river. They had a bunch of shine and even had a poke of heroin. Neil replied without looking up. Heroin? Sam perked up. We don't need that filth here. Neil poked his head above the paper once again and glanced at Sam for a moment, then went back to reading. Schaefer and Sheets got them last night around eleven or so. They're Jaspers, Junior chimed in. Neil closed the paper and tossed it to Junior. Looks like we're in for a long haul. Crime's gone up since Friday, he said before spitting in his cup. Sam pondered for just a moment. It's got to be connected. Sam knew that all crime was connected, 
A small town like Braxton having a crime spree all of a sudden was no coincidence. Last night was a busy night for the criminals, and he knew it would only get worse unless it was stopped soon. Junior read the front page of the paper while Sam bit down on his pipe. He knew better than to light it in the house, or Carol would have his head. Neil studied Sam, noticing the gun belt with his revolver snugly in place, and extra bullets placed around the belt, held in with leather loops. The two shoulder holsters held semi-automatic pistols, and extra magazines were attached to the straps. Sam was puzzled by his brother's staring. What is it? he asked, beginning to feel a little uneasy. It's amazing how much you look like Dad. Sam said nothing. Your beard, the hat, the way you wear your guns, everything about you, Neil said before he spat once again. Junior glanced over at Sam, then at Neil before turning his attention back to the paper. He didn't remember much about their father, so he didn't want to chime in. He just continued to read the article on the front page, shaking his head slowly as he did. After reading the article, he folded the paper and tossed it onto the coffee table. What do we do now? he asked. Sam stood up and adjusted his gun belt. For now, you go home, he replied. He's right. Things are going to get nasty and you need to keep up appearances in town, Neil added as he also rose. Junior tried to protest, but was stopped by Sam. You are the law, Sam began. You need to keep that image up for the people, and let us do what you can't. Two. Sam stood on a street corner next to the jerky stand while Neil talked to the owner, Terry Henson. Terry was a short man who had grown up in Braxton and had opened the jerky stand a few years ago to make extra money to help pay for his daughter's medical expenses. She was always sick. The jerky stand wasn't much, but it was all Terry had. It sat on the edge of the river next to a vacant park that was rarely attended to at the end of Maple Street, across town from the courthouse in a run-down part of Braxton. As Sam stood smoking his pipe, he watched three men about a block away making some sort of deal. Neil finished his conversation with Terry, shook his hand, and walked over to Sam. He knows nothing, Neil reported. These guys might have some answers. Neil turned and saw the group of men that Sam was watching closely. The brothers watched as a fourth man approached the group. He was skeleton-thin and twitching, wearing dirty clothes and looking like he was in desperate need of a shower and a meal. He handed one of the three men a handful of money, and the other man handed him a small bag. Jaspers, Sam said in disgust. There's been a lot of them here lately. The brothers started walking toward the group of men, knowing to be ready for anything. Sam put his pipe in his pocket and placed his right hand on the butt of his revolver as he walked. The group of men noticed the brothers and the three men took off running down Jefferson Street, but the thin man just froze in fear. Sam and Neil ran past him. 
He was only a customer and of no interest to the brothers. Jefferson Street branched off to the north of Maple Street and led to a neighborhood of mostly run-down and abandoned houses. Damn Jaspers! Neil yelled as the brothers gave chase. They ran for quite a distance when they saw the group of Jaspers run into one of the abandoned houses. Sam and Neil stopped when they got to the front of the house. It was known for being a waypoint for some of the criminal elements when they passed through town. Usually, they would only stay a night, maybe two, before moving along. Really? Sam questioned. Neil laughed. I'll go around back. You knock on the door, Neil said. The three men hid inside just behind the door. All of the windows had been boarded up, making it nearly dark as night inside, with only small beams of light sneaking in through the cracks between the boards. The three men stood shaking and looking around frantically, hoping the brothers hadn't seen them duck into the house. The first man, seemingly in charge and more calm than the others, was short with a severely receding hairline and was dressed in denim jeans and a white button-up shirt with the sleeves rolled up. The second, squirrely and panting hard, seemed to be the most frightened. He wore a plaid shirt and gray dress pants, but he wore them well, with the shirt tucked in and the dirty pants pressed. The third was a tall, skinny fellow with rotting teeth and matted hair. He wore a dirty white undershirt and a light jacket with denim pants and heavy boots. I don't think they saw us, the short leader said, almost in a whisper. The three men kept still and quiet long enough to catch their breath. Thinking they were in the clear, they began to let their guard down. And just then, the front door flew open. The sudden light flooded in behind them momentarily, and they gasped. Sam was silhouetted in the doorway, a pistol in either hand. Almost in unison, the men turned to make a run for the back of the house, but were stopped by Neil standing in their way, a pistol in either hand. The men tripped over one another as they backed away from Neil. They stood together cowardly and breathing heavily as each man shifted his gaze between the two brothers. "'You come into Braxton. It's time you met its kings.' Neil said in a straightforward tone. These three men were sent to Braxton under the impression that the law in town was weak or non-existent. They were there to sell heroin, a drug growing in popularity. Once they got to town, they started hearing stories of the kings and of what they used to do to criminals. They had hoped the stories of the kings being in hiding were true. Upon hearing Neil announce himself... The squirrely Jasper peed his pants. The wet spot spread and ran down his leg. The two others just gaped like deer caught in headlights. 3. Sam and Neil stood near a closed door in a large room built at the back of the wood shop. Along the wall opposite the brothers was a workbench filled with homemade-looking tools that were obviously not made for building or repairing things. Along the wall to the right was a large utility basin and a drain with dark crimson stains around the edges. Hanging on the wall near the basin was a bullwhip with small sharp tack nails driven into the blood-stained leather tip. In the center of the room, a single light bulb hung from the ceiling. 
under that light sat three jaspers with their hands and legs tied to sturdy wooden chairs. They were facing the kings, but had sacks over their heads. The man who made a mess in his pants was in the middle chair, and he was crying. The man to his left was the thin one who was obviously addicted to his own product, and the man on the other side was the stout, calm fellow. This man knew he was caught, and knew enough about the king's reputation to know that nothing was going to save him now. Neil and Sam stood patiently, waiting and watching the group, hoping they would say something useful to their investigation into the slaughter. The brothers' silence increased the man's apprehension, and that's what the brothers were hoping for. Al had taught them that sometimes the fear of the unknown can be the most powerful weapon in their arsenal. Hello? The crying man screamed. Is there anyone there? Shut up! The man to his right hissed loudly. This stout man was clearly the ringleader. Don't say anything. That's what they want, he hissed. The brothers looked at each other and smiled, but remained silent. The crying man slowed to a mere whimper. The junkie twitched in a slow, rhythmic manner, and his breathing grew heavier, while the leader just kept his mouth shut. Sam and Neil watched as the men carried on. It was like watching children bicker back and forth after being caught by their parents. After a few minutes of listening, Neil got tired of waiting and removed the hoods from the criminals. Sam remained by the door while Neil stood in front of the three men. They stared at the brothers as the crier began his loud moans once again, and the junkie continued his twitching like the ticking second hand of a watch. The third man sat ready for anything, or so he thought. Names, Sam demanded sternly as he rolled up his sleeves and took a step closer. The crier was the first to speak up. Matt Bauer, he screamed as if it would somehow free him from his bonds. Matt was a small-time criminal. He grew up on the streets with his deadbeat father and learned how to con his way in or out of anything. He had never dealt with people like the Kings, and he feared for his life, unable to think clearly enough to con his way out of the situation. Matt, you are a coward and an embarrassment, Neil said. P-P-Wilson, the junkie said with a twitching stutter. Pete had once been found unconscious in an opium den in San Francisco. He was dragged out and left for dead in the alley, and he would have died if not for a police officer stumbling upon him. It took three weeks for him to recover, and when he did, he headed east, away from the dens that took up all his money and time, and were the near death of him. The problem was that when he got east, he found heroin and started down another dark path. One that had led him into the hands of the most notorious vigilantes in the county, if not the state. Do you have to go to the bathroom, Pete? Neil asked. No, I'm... I'm fine, why? The junkie replied, not noticing his own twitching. What about you? Neil asked of the man at the other end. He said nothing. He only stared at Neil with a smug look on his face. Neil looked at Sam who knew what that look meant. Sam walked over to the silent prisoner, and without hesitation, 
swung his right fist as hard as he could, landing squarely in the man's face, knocking him and the chair to the ground with a crashing thud. Matt cried out, and Sam backhanded him firmly. Stop being a baby, Sam yelled like a parent scolding a child. Neil knelt down in front of the silent man, who remained quiet even as he fell to the ground. He'd hit his head on the concrete floor with such force that it drew blood. A puddle had begun to form instantly. Name, please, Sam said calmly. The man said nothing. He was standing his ground of defiance. The junkie, Pete, twitched and coughed. His name is, Pete tried to say, but was halted by Sam's fist landing squarely on his jaw, almost knocking him over as well. He was not talking to you, Sam said, taking any opportunity to hit a junkie. Neil stood and kicked the silent man in the stomach, sending him into a coughing fit. Blood trickled out of the corner of his mouth and settled next to his head. Matt let out a high-pitched squeal, then shut his mouth quickly when he saw Sam rearing back with his fist. But Sam was already in motion, so he let his fist fly, hitting the crying man right in the mouth and sending a tooth down his throat, which he choked on momentarily. He swallowed hard to get the tooth down his throat and was about to cry out again, when he thought better of it and resisted himself as blood spilled out of his mouth. Neil lifted the silent man and the chair up and spun him around, so he was facing the workbench full of homemade torture devices intended to inflict tremendous levels of pain. Each one looked more primitive than the last. Sam spun the other two prisoners around so they could also see what was in store for them. Matt released a screeching yelp and was smacked in the back of the head for it. I can't help it, Matt whined. You had better learn, Sam demanded harshly. Neil reached into a small pouch and pulled out a chunk of tobacco. He placed it in his mouth between his cheek and gums before turning to the workbench and grabbing a clamp-like device with a hand drill connected to it. He held it up to Sam, who shook his head in disapproval. Too messy. Start with something a bit less bloody. Neil turned back to his tools and searched for the perfect one. He picked some up and then put them back down, making sure that the silent man clearly saw each one first. Fred Weaver, the man blurted out. My name is Fred Weaver, damn it. You guys are fucking crazy. You gotta let us go. We ain't done nothing. Damn it, Neil said, disappointed. I thought you were a tough guy. I was going to have fun breaking you. Neil slammed a strange-looking device on the workbench that looked like it might be used to peel someone's skin off in small chunks. It had what looked like a rusty razor blade attached to two pieces of wood that were connected to a leather-wrapped handle. Tied to the wood near the blade was a thin wire that looked like it would cut the skin just as easily as the razor. Still haven't had a chance to use this one, Neil said to Sam. He truly sounded let down, but Fred was relieved. He thought Neil might actually be crazy enough to use that thing on him. Sam turned his attention to the junkie, Pete. Where are you guys from? S South Charles 
toasting. Pete replied as his twitching grew more sporadic and sweat built up on his forehead. Sam bent down to be at eye level with Pete. I hate junkies, he said softly, but with an icy harshness. Pete flinched, expecting another blow from Sam. The stench from the man was hard for Sam to stomach. It billowed up from his entire body. They twitch all the time, have bad teeth, and smell worse than my pigs after rolling around in their own shit, Sam said disgusted. Sam had a run-in with some junkies when he was younger, and he had had a severe hatred for them ever since. Pete shut his mouth tightly to hide his rotting yellow, brown, and black teeth. Then Sam punched Pete in the chest, forcing out a cough and a small amount of vomit. Matt squealed. Holy shit, man. Grow a pair of balls, Neil chastised Matt. He turned to Fred. Whatever made you think this was a guy you wanted on your team? He's not with me. Just a middleman, Fred replied. Matt tried to protest, but before he could get a full word out, Neil pulled his revolver from its holster and shot him in the knee. Matt shrieked loudly in a high pitch before passing out from shock and fear. The junkie began to cough and spew vomit from withdrawals. Sam was growing impatient with Matt, and especially with Pete, and Neil could see the rising anger in his body language and on his face. Sam paced rapidly, clenching his fist and turning his knuckles white. He slapped Matt hard to wake him up, and Matt nearly fell over as he jumped back into consciousness. Pete finished vomiting, and now the front of his shirt was covered in it, disgusting Sam to no end. He couldn't take it any longer and punched the junkie in the face with all his might. Pete went limp for a moment. Then he lifted his head and stared at Sam. Sam didn't see Pete the junkie staring at him. He saw himself glaring back, covered in sweat and blood, and wearing his army uniform. He took a step back, drew his revolver, and pointed it at the vision. Pete recoiled and struggled to free himself from his bonds. With only a second more hesitation, Sam squeezed the trigger and shot Pete in the face. Brain bits, blood, and chunks of skull flew in nearly every direction. Matt caught a piece of skull on his lap and shrieked as blood spattered in his face. Then he passed out again. Fred winced and nearly fell over. Sam tried to mask his panic, but his brother saw right through it. Neil turned his back to the chairs and began to fiddle with the tools in front of him. Sam took the cue and turned to the workbench. You okay, brother? Neil asked discreetly. Perfect, Sam replied as he holstered his weapon. What the hell is wrong with you guys? Fred yelled. Neil pulled his revolver and turned around. Us? He hissed. What's wrong with us, you ask? Are we out there selling poison to the people of Braxton? We only sell what the people want. Open your eyes, Peckerwood. This town was peaceful before you and your lackeys showed up here, and Fred laughed loudly, interrupting Neil. You think this has anything to do with us? You've got your head all twisted up on this. This is so much bigger than me. 
bigger than these men. It's so much bigger than some heroin. It's bigger than any one person. Fred laughed again. I've heard of you two. The stories are enough for any grown man to fear you. Just look at this baby next to me. But this is bigger than you, and bigger than anything you can handle. Your legend isn't big enough to handle what's coming here to Braxton. Fred laughed again and roused Matt from his unconscious state. As he woke, he screamed out and struggled to free himself. L let me go! Let me go! You crazy bastards! I didn't do nothing! I don't deserve this shit! Let me go! Let me go! Let me go! Sam turned to Neil and leaned in. You finish up here. I need some air, he said quietly. Do we let them go? Or do we bury them with their friend? Neil asked loud enough for the two remaining criminals to hear. I say we beat them within an inch of their lives, and then send them back to South Charleston in boxes. Sam started. I'll let you take care of it, he added as he walked to the door. The two men looked at Neil, trembling when their captor shot them a sly grin. What are you going to do? Matt whimpered. Neil released his grin and looked at Matt stone-faced. I'm going to do the best I can, he said as he leaned back against the workbench. We don't know nothing, Fred said, trying to keep calm. I fail to see the relevance. You can't beat information out of us. We ain't got none, Fred declared immediately. Neil folded his arms across his chest and stared at the bound men in front of him. Matt held in his whimper and Fred stared back defiantly. Neil wasn't buying it. He'd broken briefly a moment ago. He'd break again. There's two different types of information people have. The kind they know they have, he paused and stood up. And the type they don't know they have. Matt looked at Fred, then back at Neil. I know how to get both types from people. However, I must admit, it's the kind they don't know they have that's more fun to extract. And I think you have more than you know. Neil turned and picked up a large hammer, then turned back to the prisoners. Four. Sam walked into the bathroom and turned on the water. He stared at himself in the mirror for a moment. He needed some peace and quiet, but, but he could still hear the faint screams coming from the wood shop. He felt lost and alone as he stared into his eyes which were merely shadows that had forgotten the joy of life, if there ever was joy in his life. Looking at the blood coating his hands, he took a seat on the toilet. He could smell the fresh blood, and it brought back agonizing memories. He could see his mother standing over the sink in the kitchen, frantically washing her hands, trying to scrub the blood away. After all these years, he still remembered the pain of that day, an agony that had never left him, had driven him to do everything in his power to set things right in the world and save all the innocent people. Perhaps he was merely trying to set things right within himself, to save himself from the torment he had lived with for so long. Sam understood fear, pain, 
and dread more than most people. He had seen fear in the eyes of the criminals he'd captured and killed, and he'd also seen it in the eyes of those he had rescued. But he had also seen the joy he had brought to many. His demons fought with him on a daily basis, and lately, they seemed to be winning. In the mirror, he'd seen more fear in his own eyes than he'd ever seen in someone else's. The screams from the woodshop stopped, and Sam closed his eyes to take in the silence. The only noise was the sound of the water running from the faucet, and it soothed Sam's weary heart for reasons unknown to him. After some time had passed, Neil came into the bathroom with blood splatter covering the front of his shirt. Looking at the blood covering his brother's hands, he asked, Are you okay, little brother? Sam stood and put his hands under the running water. It's not mine, he said quickly. I wasn't talking about the blood. Sam washed away the blood and dried off his hands while Neil waited for an answer. Get anything from them? Sam asked. Stop changing the subject, Sam. Tell me what's going on with you lately. Sam pushed Neil aside and walked out of the room. Then he paused and turned to Neil. The brothers stood in a moment of tense silence. You need to clean up, Sam finally spoke. Damn it, Sam, Neil began. You need to talk to me. You're going to explode if you keep it locked up. Sam stared at Neil, emotionless. Neil wanted to push for more, but instead just turned and began to wash himself. They don't know much. They were told that Braxton was once again open for business, Neil said, looking at Sam in the mirror. Any names? Sam asked. Just one. They only know him as the German. I made a call. The Jaspers will be taken back to South Charleston. We don't have to worry about them. I made sure they knew that Braxton was not open for business. Sam stared at the blood, coating his brother's clothes. We have to go talk to Liz, Neil began. See if she heard or saw anything useful. We can go tomorrow, Neil said. I will be okay, Neil, Sam said. Just so you know. You're not alone, little brother. Sam turned and walked away. Yes, I am, he muttered under his breath. Five. The brothers strode away from the river's edge, a small cafe at the opposite side of town from Lefty's. It was early morning and the day was clear and bright. They were armed to the teeth with their matching revolvers and two shoulder holsters. A bloom of clouds blew in front of the sun, casting a shadow over the pair for just a moment. Sam looked up, placed his fedora on his head, and reached for his tobacco and pipe. They stopped at Sam's car, and Sam leaned against it. You ever wonder why we made it home, and other men, wiser men than us, didn't? Sam asked as he packed his pipe. Whether it was luck or God, I don't know, Neil began. All I know is that we made it back, and we have a good life here. And once we finish this job, 
We can get back to those lives. Neil shoved a lump of tobacco in his mouth and squeezed it between his teeth and cheek. Sam took a deep drag from his pipe and exhaled slowly. Sometimes, Neil started, then stopped. Sometimes what? Neil questioned. Nothing. Just thinking out loud, Sam replied, staring blankly ahead. He seemed lost. His eyes were open, but there seemed to be no life in them, no soul, and Neil was worried for his little brother. He had seen Sam like this many times since their return from France, and each time, Neil worried a bit more. The pieces just don't fit with the massacre and the crime, Neil said, returning to the issue at hand. This is a hard one to figure out, Sam started. Is the German sending all these thugs here? If so, why? It does... Sam was interrupted by a gunshot as a bullet hit nearby. The brothers turned quickly as the thundering sound echoed through the streets. They saw a man standing on the other side of the road, about fifty yards away. A few people walking the streets ran for cover, and the cafe owner locked the doors. The brothers looked at each other, then back at the man down the road. They were confused. How did he miss us? Neil asked. We're standing still. Sam had no explanations. The man had a long gun and should have hit his mark easily. It's all over for youns. The reign of the kings is over, the man declared. He spoke with a harsh voice and wore a rugged suit that was not made to fit. He was trembling and looked as if he was ready to run away. Braxton belongs to us now, he continued. Neil grabbed his rifle from the car. Another shot was fired and it hit the ground nearby, but not close enough to even startle the brothers. I'll kill yous both! Just give me a reason! Sam drew his revolver, thumbed the hammer, and took a few steps forward. The man was startled at the speed with which Sam drew on him. He had never seen anyone draw that fast. Not another step! He yelled at Sam, his voice cracking slightly with fear. Neil gripped his rifle tightly with his left hand and grabbed his revolver with his right. He left it in its holster where it would be ready to draw if needed. Who are you? Sam asked. Who sent you? Do you really think it's that simple, Neil? The man taunted. Sam looked back at Neil. The assassin didn't know which brother was which providing proof that he was just a hired gun, and a really bad one at that. Sam took another step forward, keeping the man in the sight at the end of his slightly worn barrel. I would not have asked otherwise, Sam said, keeping his eye trained on the man. In a flash, Sam saw himself standing in the road instead of the trembling Jasper. It startled him, but he didn't let on. He closed his eyes and took a deep breath. He wasn't afraid of closing his eyes. He knew Neil had his back. When he opened them, the Jasper was once again standing before him. Sam steadied his arm and breathed in slowly and deeply. You got him? Neil asked. He lifted his revolver out of the holster slowly, holding firm to the custom walnut grip 
and resting his finger on the trigger guard. Neil scanned the street for signs of more trouble, looking closely at windows and doors of nearby buildings. The brothers were ready for a fight if it came to that, but Sam was ready to make sure it didn't. They could see the man trembling. He was clearly a frightened amateur. Headshot? Sam asked his brother. Keep him alive. We need answers, Neil replied. Goodbye, kings, the man shouted as he raised his rifle to shoot. Before he was able to fire a single shot, Sam squeezed the trigger of his trusty revolver and exhaled slowly. The man fell back, his chest opened up, spilling blood on the hard dirt road. He hit the ground with a sloppy thud, dropping his gun to his side. Was I not clear about keeping him alive? Neil asked as he seated his gun in its holster. Sam glanced back at Neil and shrugged, then turned and walked over to the body in the road. His gun was still trained on the would-be assassin as Neil followed close behind his brother. They watched for any signs of life, but the man was still, the only movement being the flowing blood and the bubbles leaking from the wound in his chest. Sam grabbed the dead man's rifle and handed it to Neil. You know, if you took out a knee, we could have asked him a question or two, Neil said sarcastically. Would it make you feel better if I told you that was the intention? I was using a revolver with a five-inch barrel at a good distance, Sam explained. You could have made that shot in Colmer. In fact, you did, Neil remarked. It's been a while since I had to make a shot like that. I'm a bit rusty, Sam defended himself. Colmer was a long time ago. This was pretty brazen of him, thinking he could kill us here on the streets of our own town in broad daylight, Neil said as he scanned the area for other dangers. Sam began to dig through the man's pockets, looking for any clue that might help. This takes it to the next level, Neil. You might want to get Carol out of town for a while. Things just got personal. Sam pulled a small matchbook out of the dead man's pocket. What's that? Neil asked. A matchbox from the Burrow Inn. Sam flipped it over. He was shocked at what was written on the bottom. He tossed it to Neil and dug into another pocket. Our address, Neil began. Someone sent him after us, which explains why he called you Neil. He knows nothing about us, just a hired gun. Sam pulled a photo out of the man's front left pocket. It was a picture of Neil and Sam, with their names written on the back. Neil tossed the matchbox back to Sam. He pocketed them and then handed the photo to Neil, who examined it for a moment. They returned to the car and Neil tossed the dead man's rifle in the back seat, still looking at the photo. Sam got in and stared at the body that they had left in the road. Neil opened the passenger door and paused. What do we do now? Talk to Liz or go to the inn? Neil asked. The inn has been closed for months, so they must be using it as a staging point. We have time. We should go see Liz first thing in the morning. Today, we wait and watch. 
See if anything else happens in town, Sam explained. I was hoping you'd say that. Sam looked at Neil as he started the car. His brow furrowed. Neil got in and closed the door. What does that mean? Sam asked. Um, it's Liz. Need I say more? Sam put the car in gear and drove off as Neil sat silently staring at Sam, trying to read him. Sam was becoming uncomfortable with his brother constantly examining him. Come on, Sam, Neil started. You have to be at least a little excited to see her. I know I am. I'm curious to see how she's doing these days. Sam tried to hide his feelings, but Neil saw a slight glimmer in his eyes. So, Sam was indeed excited to see Liz after all the years apart, and a bit nervous, too. What if she had forgotten about me? What if she was married or spoken for? What if she wants nothing to do with me? Sam thought to himself. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I hope you enjoyed Chapter 5. Next week, join me for Chapter 6, Revisiting the Past. Just a friendly reminder, if you like what you're hearing, you can pop on over to Amazon.com where you can buy The Kings of Braxton, Born Under Trouble, on ebook and in paperback version. Thank you very much for stopping by.